Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome to the Get In Podcast, presented by 4th and Dude, brought to you by EagleInsider.com and the Armchair Media Network, Season 5, UMass Week. It was more like the Raiders of the Lost Offense on Saturday, as the Eagles shut out Colgate by a score of 51 to nothing to kick off the season with a convincing W. Jerko and Zay picked up right where they left off nine months ago, while some new stars emerged on both sides of the ball. On today's episode... We'll give you our takeaways from the game, recap a tough weekend for the rest of the ACC, and preview the road trip to Amherst this weekend. Matt, college football is back, and and so far, so good for the best team in the country. Saturday was was far from 100% perfect, but it was you know, just what we needed and just really what we wanted to do to start this 15-0 train without any major hiccups. Lots to get to, but first, a quick word from our good friends in the Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is a live audio-only sports talk platform, free to download and use, talk to other fans, athletes, insiders, maybe some of your favorite podcast hosts, who knows, all in real time, perfect for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, reacting to breaking news. It's like your own in-person message board, uh, which is just an awesome idea. So all you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS app store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and show up to the Spotify Green Room with your spiciest takes Matt, let's get right to it. I have a spicy take for you. Boston College is clearly the best team in the conference. Uh, but beyond that, I do think that we are the best team in the country. There are a lot to be positive about this week. You want to just start getting right into your your half fulls and, and maybe some of your half empties? Yeah, definitely. And and these games mean literally nothing. Um, and the, the, all the analysis we're about to provide is, is really a, an overreaction, an overextrapolation for what's effectively a, a glorified preseason game. But with, with that all said, uh, we do have a few reactions for you guys, a few half fulls, a few half empties. Probably the best place to start is on the offensive side of the football, Zay Flowers. Zay did exactly what we figured he would do. Uh, he went for 135 yards and a touchdown on seven catches. He just continues to show why he's the best receiver clearly in the ACC and one of the best receivers in the country and really should be shooting up the, uh, you know, the, the Heisman boards uh, with, with, for anyone that has a brain. The, the big headliner was the 40-yard touchdown and, and triple coverage, but he also had, you know, there's a, t- a ton of other plays that he made. There was a uh, screen pass in the flat that um, he made about six guys miss while zigzagging across the field. He made another tightrope catch along the sideline and tight coverage that he made just look really, really easy. And you can tell the game really is moving in slow motion form. Colgate, or, or I don't care who he's playing against, he's just he's the best person on the field every time he steps on it. So uh, that's that's the first takeaway I had. Zay just continues to show why he is an absolute elite receiver, probably the best species ever seen. And uh, I'm, I'm dead serious. I got some money on him to win the Heisman, so uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we we joked. We were watching the game together. We joked. It's like when you uh, have your own, you know, NCAA football franchise. Rest in peace to that video game. But hopefully, that will be back uh, in a couple of years. But we joked when it's like you have a Heisman candidate, and you really use week one specifically against you know FCS Southeast or whatever fake team they they send our way, uh, and you kind of just use that first week to you know basically just load up the stats, throw the ball, you know, his direction or, you know, whether it was a running back, whatever, you're handing it off every single time, throwing the ball at this person every single time and just stacking up like a thousand yards. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. I think that if you're going back and looking at the construction of a Heisman uh, championship or a Heisman trophy, this is exactly how it needed to start. So huge kudos to Zay. He made some phenomenal catches. I think that that touchdown in, in, I guess it was like Triple coverage was a little bit underthrown, but I think he made a he made a great play on it. Named the ACC receiver of the week, rightly so. Uh, not much more to add here, Matt. On the then you know I guess kind of building off of that and, and the standout players right away. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to to Jerk 
And I think he had a you know phenomenal stat line, though it was a little quiet stat line. And so 16 for 24, 303 with three touchdowns, 90, uh, 91 QBR. I think that watching it real time, it probably didn't feel as dominant as it was. What impressed me the most, though, Matt, was his you know persistence. It was a you know sloppy start, I would say, and we can kind of talk in the half empties momentarily about it. But you know, a bit of a sloppy start for the for the offense as a whole. Some drop passes, uh, a couple of things not really going their way beyond that opening drive. But I think he stuck in there. He stayed calm. Put on you know a, a huge performance at the end of the day, and and I think it speaks to his you know leadership, his poise, and again, it's just Colgate. We don't want to overreact, but overall, really impressive what I saw in terms of you know leading this team to where we expect them to get to. Yeah, it's really a testament to sort of us having unfair expectations. I mean, the guy goes for three hundred and and you know sixty seven percent completion percentage and what three quarters, and um, you know we're not even you know that surprised by it, right? It's just Phil being Phil. I will say that you know to your point. He didn't look quite as sharp as we've seen him when he's at his best. And again, we're nitpicking here, but that's what you do week one. There were a couple throws that, you know, you mentioned the Zay one was a little bit underthrown, um, but enough to get the job done. And then Trey Berry as well. I think, I think the, you know, the beauty of it was our guys were wide open a lot of the time. And I do want to segue this a little bit into our O-line. The passing game as a whole you know, looked really, really good. The O-line gave him all day to throw back there, and Phil does what Phil does and takes every second back there, which scares the shit out of us when we're watching. We're playing against Colgate, and he's going to, you know, stand in there and take a big hit because he's standing in the pocket for seven seconds. But, you know, that's Phil, so, so don't change, I guess, right? But, you know, like you said, it's it's it really is, you know, he makes it look easy. And, um, you know, when we go up there against against better opponents, you know, I think he's going to raise his game. And you got to give a shout out to the receivers as well. Obviously, Zay, like we touched on, but 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 Trey Barry breaking, you know, having that fifty-one yard hurdle touchdown was pretty incredible. C.J. Lewis, you know, was was productive as well. Jaden Williams had that big touchdown. Uh, he was very active as well. And that was great to see Kobe back as well. And I know everyone likes the new toys that we have on this offense, but let's not forget about you know sort of the, the yeoman's work that Kobe has put in over the last three years. Looks like he's fully healed if we're just going to overinterpret that one play. Uh, I'm a doctor, as you know, Matt, practically. And when you, when you tear your ACL, the doctors are just, you know, they put it back stronger than ever. So he's actually, he's actually a better player than he was, you know, two years ago based on that logic. So that's exciting. So, you know, I think bottom line, yeah, it was sort of a slow start. We had a couple of those three and outs in the first quarter, but you really can't fault the guy. And talking about Jericho now for even if he's not at his best, he still put up a, you know, 51 to nothing score, right? Uh, and after those first three and outs, we did score on our next seven possessions. So again, we're complaining. We're nitpicking because we can, but, uh, you know, pretty strong showing for Phil. There's a reason he was the ACC co quarterback of the week. And, um, you know, expect him to keep picking up his game. And, you know, it's funny, too. I mean, he said all preseason, like, he's, he wasn't playing that well. He was inconsistent. So, you know, maybe we're seeing part of what he was like. But, you know, it's going to take a while for these guys to get back in the game. Unfortunately, we have three, at least three tune-up games to do so before, we're, uh, you know, we get to Missouri. So uh, so I totally agree. I think Phil, Phil was definitely in the half-full category. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you you know, you hit on a lot of the key points there. It, my my main headline half-full, you know, I just had was the passing game in general. And I think I think you hit on all the key points there. Another, you know, quick video game reference, that Trey Berry hurdle. I mean, that was literally like a glitch that goes viral on Twitter out of like Madden, like the first week and when they're still in beta mode and uh, they haven't really figured out how the physics work yet. I'm not sure how he tripped over him or how he hurdled over him. Uh, remarkable speed. I mean, this guy looks like Gronk. Again, it's against Colgate. We don't want to, you know, get to get too you know, high on this because these are probably not the fastest defenders we're going to see this year, but absolutely love to see that performance out of him. Matt, real quick, why did the, the tweet that, we made collectively as a, as a fourth and dude Twitter, the one about, and we'll get to Notre Dame, but how Michael Mayer is basically yep. Trey Berry, except his hands are covered in butter. Why did that not go viral in your opinion? Any thoughts? Yeah. There? So I think it's, a, I think it's a bit of a volume game, Matt. And it's, it was Labor Day or it was the Sunday of Labor Day mm-hmm. weekend. I think that people had probably had, you know, it's nice to just kind of get your mind off of BC. Maybe they're enjoying a cookout or, yeah. uh, you know, enjoying the last golden hour of the summer. So Matt, I think, I think, you know, our heads, our head was was right in the right place there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna just gonna kind of blame the the circumstance, and you know, there were some people watching that watching the FSU Notre Dame game. I gotta tell you, like sometimes you just hit the tweet button and you feel like, yep. wow, that that's the one right there. It's probably when you you tweeted out the one about the school of rock and uh, yeah. what's his name, uh, Tanner Carafa. 
Yeah, like that without I think we got ten thousand likes on that one. That went viral. I didn't realize that School of Rock has like a has like a Twitter <laughs> family. Like it's like a thing. like like people get excited for School of Rock. There's a whole School of Rock Twitter that I didn't know existed. So yeah, mm-hmm. love to see that. We should tap into that this season. We should. So sorry, I know we went off off track there. Um, <laughs> I was were, I was going to continue. I was basically just going to build on this and say, you know, you, you touched on Jaden Williams briefly. I want to expand that in a, in a large half full for me, and that's just to say the freshman performances in general. We saw sixteen freshmen see their their first action of the year, including eight with over ten snaps. Again, Jaden Williams was my you know breakout dude of the year coming into the season. He was on the field for thirty six snaps. Uh, caught two for 24 and touchdown, pretty nice touchdown catch, like not an easy one by any means. Plus, he, he ripped off a 41-yard run. So really impressive there and I think a sign of what's to come. Uh, and then your guy, Matt, I'm, gonna, again, going to have an issue with the pronunciation. I think we call him – I think we should call him Easy. I think that's a good nickname for your guy, Donovan Ezeruka, mm-hmm. which I, again, definitely Ez- pronounce well. Ezeraku. So, yeah, Easy. Great uh, great performance out of him. 28 snaps. Looked really athletic and, and strong, and I think that's – Obviously important for for what we're going to need on the D line, and then you know a couple others. Again, the 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 big name recruits and Drew Kendall and CJ Burton look solid, looked as advertised. So overall, huge shout out to the freshmen. Again, it's just Colgate, and it's kind of an easy way for them to you know segue into their uh, college career, coming off of you know the much smaller players they were going up against in in high school. Um, but overall, really promising start, and I think the the future is bright. Definitely. And I want to come back to the defense and I want to talk about Easy and a couple of the other guys up front. First, I want to go to Negative Town real quick. Uh, and it's everything we talked about last week is, is my biggest concern coming into this year is the run game. Do we have one? <laughs> right? Have we figured out the zone blocking? And unfortunately, we got to put this in the half empty bucket. This should have been a game where we really asserted our will up front in the trenches. And instead, it was it was sort of more of the same as last year. We have a committee, the four running backs, Travis Levy, Alex Sinkfield, X, big X, uh, Xavier Coleman, and then Pat Garwo. They combined for 105 yards on 29 carries to yards per carry of 3.6 against Colgate. If you extrapolate that, it's not pretty of what this group is going to do against the ACC. Uh, there's a lot of good defenses we're going to be up against, as we saw. Well, as we sort of saw, Clemson looks good defensively. Um, you know, some of the other we're we're gonna we're gonna go against up better defenses than than Colgate, I think. And the fact of the matter is, is is you know, our line did not look as dominant. I will say that you know after that first drive, you know, Le- Levy looked good. He was he was hitting the holes hard. But the linebackers started cheating up a little bit. The running lanes got a little congested. You know, the O-line, I think zone blocking, and, and I don't know a ton about this, right? But zone blocking, you're really supposed to get to that second level. And the whole point is to, it's like you double team the D tackle, and then you cheat up and you angle out the, you know, the linebacker. And I just, I don't know if we've solved that yet. It doesn't seem like our guys are getting to the second level. I will say that our running backs don't really have that, you know, break a tackle ability, that juke ability that we've seen in years past that, you know, maybe it's because we're, we're going towards this shiftier back. We're not running you over and maybe we just don't have, we still don't have the personnel that, to you know, complement that yet. I don't know. Obviously, if, if I know, then someone smarter than me would know and we'd fix it. But I guess the biggest issue is it seems like if there's even one tackler, even if he's a 250 pound T tackle on Colgate, if there's one tackler in the vicinity, we're just not going to break that tackle. And yep. it's sort of counterintuitive to, you know, what we've seen historically from this BC team. And, you know, it's just unfortunate. This is the reality. And again, this is overreacting. It's one game and we want to give these guys a chance to, to prove us wrong against UMass, but continue to be uh, heavily concerned about this yeah. unit, Matt. Yeah, that was my main half empty as well, obviously, as I'm sure it was for the entire fan base. I, I think, you know, you hit on everything there. For me, my, my biggest point of concern was the fact that our passing game was as strong as we expected it to be. Uh, so again, it's, you know, there were no reason for, you know, it's not like Colgate was stacking the box, you know, like they may have been had we played them, you know, five years ago. These guys theoretically, based on the performance that we saw, should have had as, as much running space as they'll have all season. So agree with you for, you know, to only end up around a hundred yards. Uh, you know, it, it was pretty disappointing. I'm going to then kind of segue back and forth to a couple things here, taking that to go to a half full quickly, back to a half empty, and then maybe back to a half full. So try to follow me quickly here, but I'm going to take the running game. There's a half full element to it. 
Uh, and that was Jerko moving his legs. So he put in 61 yards, including a long of, of 41. Really impressive. He's certainly not built of, uh, you know, Anthony Brown speed or, or, you know, anything like a Tyler Murphy where that's the key part of his game. But for him to have that ability and, and to put that on top of, you know, a Heisman caliber arm with the receivers we have, I think that's an excellent weapon. Um, will get us out of some tough situations and hopefully lead to good things. Shout out too to on that 41 yarder, Jaden Williams blocking downfield. Yeah. And this guy, he's like, is he like 17 years old? Like he's, you know, pretty much 5'10 and 160. At least he looks like it, right? And he is just dominating, uh, you know, his, his cornerback. And it's so easy for these receivers, especially ones that, you know, are just speedsters. And that's – you don't really have to take as much of an active role in the blocking game. The fact that he's doing that, protecting his quarterback and flattening the guy and, you know, really spring jerk for that 41-yard run – I just want to give him a lot of credit for that because that's just, you know, sort of bringing something extra to the table when you have guys like that downfield doing stuff like that. Can I say, I don't want to extrapolate too much from a single play, but I noticed that as well. I think this just speaks to a culture thing that Halfway has built. And we, and we talk about it with every different angle, whether it's how we handled, you know, COVID or, or anything else that we've seen out of this locker room. The culture that Halfway has built and, and the buy-in that we're seeing from every player, and it's encapsulated on every play, and I think that's a perfect example of it. Again, this guy who's come in, kind of came out of nowhere, but, you know, became kind of the, the star of training camp, if you will, uh, has this huge stock and a lot of expectations now freshman year. His first game, you know, he already had, I think at that point, he already had the touchdown, but, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise was was pretty active. He did not need to, you know, whether it's risking injury or just kind of putting his body out there. But I think they're buying in. They understand the, the, the larger piece of it. So I'm sure that's a, you know, maybe that's a bit of an extrapolation. But overall, I'm, I'm, I'm for it. This culture is is phenomenal. What I do want to just then flip back to the half empty on the Jerko running game. I, I hate how he takes hits. Like, I don't know if it's just the style of, of, of how he's playing. If he's trying to be physical, he never wants to, you know, run out of bounds. He doesn't want to slide. I get that because I appreciate the fact that he's a gamer. And, and I think, again, it just speaks to his mentality. But there were multiple hits there where had he been slow to get up, I don't think anybody would have been surprised. The first one he took, he rolled out to the left. The guy hit him low and, you know, kind of fell forward and then immediately got got thrown backwards by by the second tackler. I mean, I thought for sure was going to take him, you know, at least 15 seconds to get off the ground there. So you are playing with fire at a certain point, which is concerning. And I do think that speaks a little bit to the larger issue on Saturday of halfway keeping these starters in way too long. I think we said it after, again, you said they just – I think I think it wasn't even I think it wasn't even close. I, I don't see a reason why any of these guys came out for for the second half, especially again when you're keeping in mind who your guy is. Jerk is he's the and I know you love Denny and I think Denny is is a fine quarterback, all that. But if Jerk goes down, we are no longer on the road to 15 and 0 in my opinion. I think we can still win 10 games, nine games, whatever. But you see the hits he's taking and the way he's taking these hits. I think that plug needed to be pulled earlier. Uh, Jeff Halfley's brother, he said, was was texting him after the game saying, like, what are you doing? Which, by the way, I think that uh, I think our hat should be thrown in the ring to uh, be Jeff Halfley's postgame text guys. I'd, I'd love to be in that group text with the Halfley brothers. That'd be a dream come true. By the way, we, I don't know. I don't know. We may cut this out. I don't know if we should say this. We may or may not have his phone number. We have not used it once. Uh, we have not abused it. So we have his phone number. We have not abused it once. We have not sent him a text. We've wanted to, and 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 I'm sure we've gotten close, but credit to us. That's huge that we have not done that yet. So we think we have his phone number. And actually, Matt, I got a new phone, and I think I do you have it? Because I don't think I don't know if I have it on this phone. Let me check actually in real time. I think I made you delete it because you couldn't be trusted. And I'm searching my phone for Halfley. There's no results. Once I put him under it. Well, we got a guy we can text to uh, who, who does have it. He'll, he'll, he'll get it. Uh, he'll get it back to us. But anyways, I think that that's something that we'd be really good at. We've got a lot of hot takes right after the 60 minutes are up. I think that that's something that I, I wish he was amenable to because I think we could just we could really build this program. Uh, well, you and I. I agree. So that's my half full, I guess. Then it swung back half full, half empty, half full. I will say and, and I think I'm with you. And we said it, you know, in real time, we're at, uh, at a our own game watch in New York City with some dive bar. Shout out to whatever it was called, that I forget the name of it, some Irish pub on the Upper East Side. Basically, we were like living and dying every time Jerko, any time anyone was within five feet of Jerko. And like that that was just because as much as I love Danny. It was stressful. It was. It was stressful. It was. But then listening to, to Halfley's reaction and him saying, listen, you know, you risk injury every time you go out there. These guys have to get reps. Yeah, but we're also playing UMass. That's another game where these guys are going to get plenty of reps. And then, oh, by the way, Temple just lost by 50 to Rutgers. That's another game where our guys are going to get reps. So normally I'd agree with you. If we're playing Missouri next week, we don't want to go in there rusty. But we have two more tune-up games before then. So that that 
I agree that coach speak kind of falls a little flat and, um, and hopefully he'll be a little more, a little more cognizant against, against UMass. That said, Jeff Halfley's way smarter than we are. So, you know, what do we know? Uh, but, but hopefully, uh, we can get Jericho out of there by halftime. I think would be in a perfect world. So I want to switch over to the defense real quick because these guys, in my mind, were, were one of the biggest half fulls that you could possibly have. I mean, anytime you, you shut them out, obviously that's, you can't do a lot better than that. So, you know, that's obviously, obviously great, but it was the way that they did it too. And it's, it, it, there's a reason that like Sheeta Salah, we're finally seeing why he was such a big time recruit. He looks like he could be the real deal. He had seven tackles. He had a sack. He looked like the best player on the field on the defensive side, which is especially huge considering Marcus Valdez's injury. We had IGM, Isaiah Graham Mobley at middle linebacker. He just made a bunch of really athletic plays that were, that was sort of reminiscent of a different Isaiah, Mr. McStuffy, that we enjoyed watching last year. Obviously, those are huge shoes to fill. And um, again, overreacting here, but if that's if that's a role that he can fill, then I'll feel a lot better about this defense as a whole. Just going down the list here, Mikey Palmer doing what Mikey Palmer does, getting in position for interceptions, taking advantage. Another t- uh, tweet that should have gone viral. What was that Completely. about, Matt? I don't know. Completely. We have 1,700 followers, and I think that got eight likes. The yeah. Mikey Palmer alert, with, if you guys haven't seen the other guys – What's worse is everyone's seen the other guys. So, like, you guys should know what that is. So, listen, next time Mikey Palmer makes a pick, we're going to tweet that out again. I want you guys to do a little bit better this time around um, on that. Speaking of interceptions, my guy, Jamin Moose, who might be a candidate for one of our favorite awards, the Lucas Dennis slash Hamp Cheevers Award, um, with his ability to just rack up picks. You know, just being and and some of that was a little bit of you know <laughs> being in the right place at the right time, a little luck there. But yeah, that's what Hamp did. And he just racked it up. He just had a nose for the football. So yeah, that was great. Muse, I think, led our team in turnovers last year. He's well on his way this year. Took that back to the house. That was great. One other guy I want to touch on, Jason Matry. Everyone's been talking him up as a game changer this year. Was just all over the field whenever he was in there. There was one screenplay in particular where he just sniffed it out and just laid a massive hit, but didn't target, which was good. That was a that was a play that could have been right for targeting, as we saw uh, four targeting penalties in the first half of the Louisville game last night. That's going around a bit. Obviously, that's great. Good discipline there, uh, but made a big hit there. So, um, And then one, one other thing, fun stat of the game, Colgate was 0 for 10 on third down. So, uh, yeah. you know, getting off the field on third down was, was one of the things we had to prove on, improve on from last year. Halfley said it a million times. So certainly a good way to, uh, to start that off this year. Yeah, 100%. And, and again, I think it was a little bit, especially early on, you know, in contrast to the offense. So that was kind of my last small half empty was like it was a slow start offensively. I think we were a little, I don't want to say stressed is the right word, but we were a little annoyed right after that first drive mm-hmm. to, you know, pretty much not get anything on, on really the rest of the first quarter. Um, and it just kind of looked like things were stalling. It was sloppy. There were drop passes. A lot of that is the vanilla playbook. You know, you're not expecting them to, to throw the kitchen sink on them. But again, the contrast of that was when the defense was on the field, we were incredibly comfortable. And that's not surprising. Again, we're going up against Colgate. But at no point was there, uh, you know, again, when, when we only had seven points in the first quarter, at no point in that first quarter was there ever a real threat of, Colgate's going to tie this game up. Like, where do we go from here? What's happening? Like the season's over 15 and 0 is not going to happen. I think we were very calm and that's a huge credit to this defense. And I think you, you really hit on all the key players there. So that's a, a massive bright spot. I think we know what we have on offense. So for me, you know, seeing what we get out of the defense was, was a much bigger question mark coming into this game. And, and they answered the call with, you know, everything that, that we could have asked for. Matt, a couple of other quick half fulls that I have somewhat off the field, but still within the the realm. I, I want to give a huge, huge shout out to the student section. So obviously everyone there, you know, missed last year and, and the team missed having everyone in the stands. The, the, it looked absolutely packed in the student section on television, like even at kickoff. Uh, obviously the rest of the stadium, it seemed like there might've been some issues with like the, uh, the, I don't know, the vaccine checkpoints or whatever. It seemed like there were some significant bottlenecks. We saw some pictures on Twitter about, but Students didn't seem to have much of a problem. It seemed absolutely packed. It was loud all game. They stayed, you know, much longer than you would expect for an FCS game, I would say. So I cannot wait to to see what they bring, the energy they bring for Missouri and, and throughout the rest of the season. And again, we talked about it coming in, but th- this is what Halfley and this is what this team deserves, especially after, you know, what they went through last year. So absolutely love to, to see that. 
uh, element of, of, of things on Saturday. Yeah. And they, uh, you know, they were showing videos of everyone singing Mr. Brightside and, you know, it just looked like an electric big time atmosphere. So that's great to see. And I'm sure we'll bring it much more and we'll need to bring it much more against the likes of Missouri, but pretty good tune up. Students showed up. Uh, the rest of the, you know, the adult world didn't, it seemed like. But Labor Day. It's, it's, it's Labor, Labor Day, Day weekend. People have things going on on Labor Day. It's I can a, live with it's that. It's practically a scrimmage. Exactly. I'm not, I don't see it as a big deal. I, I do think they need to work out the kinks of that, you know, the vaccination card or whatever. And they really got to figure that out. I know they're rolling out some type of mobile app. So hopefully it does get a little more streamlined because uh, it looked like, you know, and when the ball kicked off, it was pretty empty. Um, I think there was a good, you know, 5,000 people that were just waiting out front, waiting to get in. So hopefully they figure that out. I'm sure they will. One, I got one other quick one that is on back on the gridiron. I just want to talk about the kicking game real quick. Obviously, Boomer's out. That's uh, that's not great. The news broke that he's dealing with some type of hip injury. So you know, good news, bad news. We do have the we do have the long man. He uh, you know he did miss an extra point, but was otherwise perfect. I think, with the exception of that kickoff out of bounds. But I think that's he, just he has one. He has one per game. Yeah, that's just that's who he is. When you score that many touchdowns, that type of stuff happens. I will say. Like it went out of bounds at the one. So like that's a great punt. It would have been a great coffin corner word a punt. Hopefully Boomer can uh, can get back on the field soon. If not, we do have that freshman. So we have options. Worst case, we get Tessator in the wings. Shouldn't say worst case. I mean, it wouldn't even be worst case. Tessator's great. I'm sure he's a great kicker. All that. Big recruit. Whatever. His dad's the man. So best holder in the, in, in America as well. So yes, point being, we have, we have a loaded uh, special teams room. Uh, didn't have to punt a heck of a lot, but but that was fine as well. Big Grant had a couple big ones when he was needed, so special team looks looks fine. I'll, if, again, nitpicking here, Levy, Levy, I just don't know. I just don't think he has that 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 juke ability I mentioned earlier, right? And, and I understand why he's back there, I, and it frankly would scare me to have Zay on those punt returns. But maybe you have. I'm, I'm sure there's someone on the roster that you know, probably has bigger play potential, whether it's a Jalen Gill. Uh, he's banged up, so maybe don't mess around with that. I kind of like when you put a D-back back there. But I don't know. We won't overreact to one game. I'm sure Levy will figure it out. He's great. He's been a great part of this team for the last six-plus years, it seems like. So, um, again, all this is nitpicking, um, but have that on my list. Hopefully we can uh, you know break one or two for big ones against UMass. Yeah, these are the these are the games to get those out of the way. I would say in terms of like the ability to to run kicks back, they happen a lot more often when you play FCS teams. I've found uh, than when you're going up against against high caliber ACC teams. So definitely agree, those are exciting. If we can get a couple of those in the books in the next couple of weeks, um, Matt, I've just got two more quickly here. So the first is a joint half full, half empty. The half full is is my predictions. So I said fifty six to nothing. That's pretty damn close. Uh, and we'll get into this in Halfley's Corpus, but I nailed Vatech UNC. I was high on Vatech. I thought UNC, I didn't see it. So credit to me on that one. But of course, Matt, the half empty. And for everyone who follows us on Twitter, I want to make sure this falls on your shoulders. You had two mortal fourth and dude locks of the weekend. Uh, start, it was perfect bookends too. You started with the opening night. You said U- USF over NC State was free money, money line. Uh, NC State beat them by about a thousand. I don't think USF got a first down the entire night. And then the end of the weekend, the Monday night special, uh, you also said, again, your mortal lock was Louisville money line over Ole Miss. Again, another game that wasn't even close. Credit to you. You did say you included that as a parlay, uh, and the under did hit. So you at least got, you know, one half of, uh, of your parlay, of your free money parlay. Can I just defend myself one at a time here? Yeah. On NC State, that's just, that was irrational. The whole, I just hate NC State. There was no intelligence behind that tweet. And it's on you if you took the USF money line because they are terrible. I didn't know they were that terrible, but they are. Um, I did make the bet, but again, that was not out of my own intelligence. So I'm not going to wear that Fair. one as as bad. The Louisville one breaks my heart a little bit. But in my defense for that one, and, and you guys, if you guys listened to the last pod, I talked about how Louisville got screwed with turnovers last year. And if you actually normalize their advanced stats, they're actually a pretty damn good football team. And then I doubled down on Twitter last night before the game. Matt, that was before I saw how electric the Ole Miss uniforms were. And had I seen that beforehand, I don't think I would have taken Louisville in my defense. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's just a sign of, of a lack of research. But I think everyone knows that we're not always the, the biggest fans of research uh, on this show. That goes for both Matt and myself. So fair enough. Matt, my final uh, half full. Again, this is not football related, but I think it definitely needs to be said. Uh, Donald Hand committed to BC basketball today. Four-star point guard. The 100th ranked player in the country. I think he's the 19th ranked guard. 
his quote when he committed was that he is coming here to win a national championship, which is an attitude that I love. I hate when people come to you know a school like a BC and basically are just like, well, we're just going to see what we can do and you know maybe win a couple games in the ACC. No, he's got a goal and we're going to get there. Uh, picked us over NC State, Maryland, Georgia Tech, some others. Just a huge building block for Earl. I, I think I kind of love this this Earl Grant hire now. I mean, this is like how you build a program. The step one is you bring back Al Skinner for a practice and a couple photos. Step two is you get four-star recruits. Step three is you win national championships. I agree, Matt. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be optimistic. I have no reason to be pessimistic. I think it's a great get. Um, but it's half the battle, right? Get you know, getting talent in the door is 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 part of the problem. This is a, a, certainly a good start. Uh, his name's I think it's is it DJ Hand, Donald Hand, whatever it is. Uh, I read it as Donald's, but either way, good name. D Hand Ducks is the uh, the Twitter handle, so that's a good one there. Uh, but yeah, always great to get recruits over the likes of you know, especially ACC opponents like NC State, Clemson, um, top hundred recruits certainly good. But you know, we've seen this before with with Jarius Hamilton didn't didn't pan out so great. So um, recruiting step one, development step two, and then coaching in game is step three in my mind. And uh, so jury's still out. Let's, uh, but looking forward to getting to the hardwood and see what we got. Not just this year. I don't think we have much in the way of expectations this year looking at the, the, the roster, but if we can build while we're not so good, that's certainly, you know, a testament to, to Earl Grant's ability to, uh, to, to get in the, get in the living rooms and, and convince these guys. So nothing bad to say there, Matt. So anything else on your list? I think that's everything on my list from a half full and half empty standpoint. Obviously the big takeaway with Colgate is we did what we were supposed to do. Uh, our big guys stepped up. We did not have a FCS disaster like you saw some other teams. Like I think Washington went down to Montana or something like that. So um, always good to uh, to avoid the big upset in week one. Everyone stayed healthy as far as we know. Um, so great job I have in the boys. Anything else to add there, Matt? No, just that you can't go 15-0 with, without 1-0. So I think with that, I would love to uh, jump into the courtroom and talk briefly about some of our ACC opponents who are frankly going to make our road to 15-0, I think, look a little bit easier than maybe we thought this time last week. Let's do it. Court is officially in session. Okay. All right. I think the best place to start was sort of the game of the weekend. Um, I'm not sure if you've rewatched this one. Matt and I were at a wedding uh, Saturday night, which was awesome. Big congrats to uh, to those guys. Uh, so I, I rewatched the Georgia-Clemson game, and Clemson's offense just looked out of sorts. And I think a lot of it was, was Georgia's defense. Um, but it also just, you know, Clemson always had a way of sort of overcoming, uh, you know, really, really good defenses with – you know, just whether it was talent, whether it was Trevor Lawrence just bailing these guys out, whether it was those receivers, whether it was ETN, they just don't seem to have an X factor this year. Um, and for those that, that missed the game, I think the final score was, was what, 10 to 3? 10 to 3, yep. There was no offensive touchdown scored in the ball game. The, the game really was, was won on a DJU pick six that was taken back to the house by Georgia. Um, and, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, right? But this is, I think, as bad as we've seen Clemson look. And this has happened before, right? They looked bad against UNC a few years back. They looked bad against Syracuse a few years back. Sometimes Clemson does this. And Georgia's a really, that defense is really, really incredible. But I just don't get the sense that DJU has the weapons he needs. Uh, there's no running game to speak of. The O-line looked bad. The defense did not look as dominant as they have in years past. I know they got a strong D-line. I know they really, they pretty much shut Georgia out, but it just, it doesn't look like the same little old Clemson that Dabo's always had. I'm, I'm going to say this. I think that we're fortunate we're getting them early on in the season. I'm not predicting an upset at this point. I want to see what the next couple of weeks look like, but this looks as beatable as Clemson's been, uh, in quite some time here, Matt. Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree. Again, to your point, did not get an opportunity to watch the full game because of just a phenomenal uh, New York City wedding. Again, reiterating, big shout out to uh, to our two friends there. But overall, just highly unimpressive. I did watch the condensed game and and the stat sheets. Nothing on there, you know, certainly didn't increase my concern. And I think if they went out and they were to, to beat Georgia, you know, I'd now be looking at that game in a few weeks uh, significantly more pessimistically. 
they did nothing to to increase my concern level and, and frankly kind of went the opposite way. You know, the the one angle I will say, you know, two angles. One is obviously Georgia is a great opponent, so there is that caveat there. Um, the second is that the, you know, they they held Georgia's offense to only three points. So that is a bit concerning from a, you know, how strong their defense is. That said, we know when we feel very strongly that our offense is is clearly the tip of our spear, and and we do think that we can that we can beat anybody with our offense. So if there's any offense is going to put up points, I feel like it could be ours. So overall, I'm with you there. Uh, overall, just feel a lot better about how that game is going to go in four weeks. Can't say it enough. I know we talked about it last week, and and I know Jeff Halfley has come out and said he just doesn't care. He just wants to play football. But man, I wish that game was was here on the Heights. I do too, and I also wish we got them before NC State. I think they play NC State the week before they play us. And yeah, I'm just looking at the schedule here. Yeah, so NC State gets the benefit of playing them a little bit earlier, which I think is important because they still they got a lot. Dabble's got a lot to figure out on the offensive side of the football. Um, so that's unfortunate, but hey, you can't control the schedule. I will say this too, and I think part of the reason, you know, DJU seemed to beat us with his legs a lot. Same, same thing with the Notre Dame game. You know, that guy, that guy has some mobility and he didn't really tap into that. And I think that, you know, one of the big storylines at Clemson is there's no backup behind DJU. Like, they, I don't know if they ever transferred, if they just forgot to recruit for a year, but they don't have, like, I think they got a legitimate walk on because I think someone got hurt. They have a legitimate walk on quarterback behind DJU. So they might be telling them not to run it. And if they don't have a running game to speak of otherwise, and that O-line isn't as dominant as it usually is, and they don't have a playmaker at receiver, at least compared to years past, I think that's a recipe for disaster. So, you know, hopefully Halfley is is looking at that. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure if anyone can devise a scheme against that offense to to, do exactly what Georgia did, you know, we don't have the same – you know, horses up front necessarily. We do have a you know legitimately good secondary. So, you know, we're getting out of ourselves. We'll break this down in detail. We'll see what happens in the next few weeks. But heck of a game to uh, to to witness, to rewatch, and and really, uh, you know, excited for the first time in a while to have a shot at the ACC. It seems like. Yeah, it, it really does, and and uh, we can talk just briefly about Louisville as well. So it's another team who I think we we both had circled as a potential. I won't say threat, but a, a potential point of concern on our road to 15 and 0 coming into the year. And they, again, just really looked, looked weak. You touched on it, uh, just a few minutes ago, but overall, a very disappointing performance on, on Monday night. Uh, this seems kind of like the, the perfect Scott Satterfield, uh, you know, season developing, right? Like every year, everyone's a little bit high on them coming in. He's got weapons seemingly. And then when the actual year gets here, it just kind of falls a little bit flat. So um, overall, like Clemson, I feel better about our chance to win the ACC after watching the Louisville game last night. And forgot who tweeted this. One of the one of the other you know BC uh, Twitter accounts was out there tweeting this the other night. But we will likely be the first ACC team to beat an SEC team this year, uh, which is pretty cool. And frankly, not a position we find ourselves in too often. Yeah, it's a good point. You could honestly say that the team that looked the best, the team that raised their stock the most was a team that lost, but Florida State, because you, you look around the other top contenders of the ACC, I guess Virginia Tech. So so going to Virginia Tech real quick, I mean, and like you talked about, you, you nailed that one. I was right there with you. It seemed like North Carolina wasn't just going to replace everyone and, and be fine, and Sam Howell wasn't just going to develop that same chemistry with everyone. They looked awful. That offense looked terrible. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's week one, so you don't know how much to ascribe to VTech actually maybe having a good defense versus, you know, UNC just not showing up. You don't know, but they completely neutralized Howell. So, you know, as far as our schedule, you know, it increases our strength of schedule. Obviously, Virginia Tech is probably the second scariest team on our roster based on that. Um, But, you know, you know, going forward, obviously, outside of that, no one else really scares me. I mean, FSU, we talked, we started to talk about, right? Lost in, in all the Brian Kelly death threats is that Florida State actually outplayed the ninth ranked Irish. Notre Dame had 21 points off turnovers. If FSU can hang on to the ball, that's a route. That doesn't come down to overtime because Florida State runs them out of the building and they win like 38 to 17. So I think people forget that. So to me, you know, the, the, if you, again, if you over extrapolate week one, it's really Clemson, it's VTech, and then it's Florida State that I think are the three scariest teams on our schedule. I completely, completely agree with maybe the exception of, and I don't want to spend any time on them because I think we're having a nice evening here and I don't want to uh, you know, waste our time on things that get us upset. But NC State did have a strong outing. Dave, Dave Doran continues to be a, just a bad guy by all accounts, allegedly. Um, <laughs> but I, I, they, they just, they looked strong. 
again, USF was was terrible, and I think we put too much stock into them. But Matt, they're the of, only other ones who could creep in there. Sort frankly. of bad sportsmanship to run up the score like he did, in my opinion. Yeah, what a jerk. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jeff Halfley didn't even want to run up the score on Colgate. It was more, you know, we were slow coming out of the gate. And then eventually he just said, you know, all right, there's only so much I could do. He yeah. was kind of handling it correctly. So, yeah, really disappointing overall just by the, the the program they're running down there. Saw some fights, I think, in the stands probably because that's what NC State does. So, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty just pretty disgusting overall. But they are the – I would I would put them in the – Probably in the third or fourth spot. I would I would alternate them at Florida State. I'm not sure what order I would go. Yeah, but otherwise, schedule feels really easy. You know, if uh, you know, I think eight and four. Let me put it this way: eight and four feels like a a virtual floor. That if we fell below that, if we went, I mean, I think we'd all know coming in, we'd be really disappointed at seven and five. Um, but even eight and four with like our being our our, our complete floor, mm-hmm. that would be really disappointing if we ended that number. Yeah, totally agree. Um, do you want to talk about the Brian Kelly death threats or is that something? I think, yeah, I think we need to. Okay. Um, I, I think that, you, you know, the, the, the most important thing in just human nature, uh, but certainly comedy is self-awareness and kind of knowing who you are and knowing the situations that, that you find yourself in as someone who is, uh, allegedly responsible for, for the death of a student, not what, five, 10 years ago. You can't make a joke about executing your entire team on national television because you're not thrilled with with how they played. Again, I understand it was a reference to some quote from a Tampa Bay coach back like 40 years ago. But not only w- was just the 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 wrong place, wrong time. The timing was also just terrible. And I mean, like the comedic timing, mm-hmm. yeah. like the way he said it. It was just a cringeworthy delivery. So you know, there's a way for for him to do that well um, and, and to actually maybe lean into it a little bit and be like, well, you know, I don't want my team to be afraid of me because they know my history. But maybe we should execute them, but do it in a proper, you know, in, 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 a, in a better delivery. Uh, overall, just really cringeworthy, really uncomfortable right. and, and frankly, really dangerous. And I think that, you know, he should be ashamed. I think all of the you know French priests who founded Notre Dame are, are rolling over in their graves right now. And really just a disgusting display uh, from from everyone who, who you know considers themselves a, a fan of, of the Irish. Right. And, and, and the way that the, the joke goes is the sideline reporter is supposed to say, you know, what do you think of your team's execution? And then right. Brian Kelly's supposed to say, oh, well, I'm in favor of it. That's right. funny. You say that, that's right. funny. And right. it's like, okay, Brian Kelly, may, maybe a sneaky, funny guy, probably the first joke he's ever told in his life. But he, the way he did it was just, it was just impossibly bad delivery. And this is coming, like, I, I just. Well, how did it actually go, right? It was, he basically said, uh, our team executed poorly. Maybe mm-hmm. we should execute our team. Well, I mean, that's just a, that's just a death threat. He said, I'm in favor of execution is how he started. He kind of, he tried to set himself okay. up. Yep. And then he said, and so as like, therefore, I think our team should be executed. I think everyone yeah. on our team should be executed. So that's just like and, straight up murder. It is. And here's the other thing too. Like everyone would come out on Twitter in defense of him. Like no one, like <laughs> we don't actually think Brian Kelly is going to execute his place. I don't think. Well, I don't do we. That's a big statement, Matt. But everyone mad about like, oh, you guys don't know college football or football history that this coach that I've never heard of. Should, I, should we have heard of John McKay? I don't know. No, the don't fact so. that we don't know some clip that he said 50 years ago, like everyone coming out in defense of Brian Kelly was just I, I couldn't stand that. I know the, de- the joke's been beaten to death. Uh, no pun intended, but it's just like <laughs> everyone Everyone needs to shut up in every single direction about this. We'll shut up about it. Everyone can shut up about it. But Brian Kelly did something wrong there. If no, if for nothing else than just you know telling a really really terrible joke, if nothing else, right? So right, which is bad enough in and of itself. And I, and I completely agree. I, I do want to quickly add two things to this game. Okay. You know, first yep. of all, I, I do think Florida State obviously looked solid. To your point, that was a game that they very easily could have, if not should have, won. I, I also just think that Notre Dame is not good this year. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they're. Uh, have to go back to it. Their execution was very poor. Um, mm-hmm. I did not think they they looked uh, they did not look intimidating. I think that I wish they were on our schedule this year. Um, so I don't want to get too high on FSU. I think that this is frankly an overrated Notre Dame team, as they always are. Uh, but they are, you know, as you tweeted during the game. I mean, they're just not the number ninth team in the country in no world. Um, and I and I do want to just kind of keep that in the back of my mind. The other piece there is I, I just want to touch on Mackenzie Milton. So the the FSU quarterback again he had an absolutely violent, disgusting leg injury at UCF, what, like three years ago at this point? Mm-hmm. It is a great story, and it's great to see him back out there. He looks really strong. I, I will say that, again, just assuming uh, as an FSU guy, like he's probably a pretty big D-bag personally. No, I'm sure on. he has. I'm sure he has tribal tats. Well, but football-wise – 
as a UCF guy, he probably is too. You're, yeah, you're probably right. But football-wise, this is an amazing story. And, you know, again, he was, I think, very close to either losing his leg, not walking. Yeah. It could have even been worse than that. You know, if you think like the Alex Smith type stuff. And mm-hmm. he looked he looked phenomenal. And that is why I think I have them. Again, we, we both have them in our in our top four teams that we're, we're concerned about. Um, I think we've, you know, just it's tough to beat teams with good quarterbacks, period. And I think that we weren't maybe expecting them to come in and, and be on that good quarterback list that we faced. So, Mm-hmm. And again, you just got to consider like the story angle. That's absolutely a boost throughout the year. It's like when a mascot dies, kind of the same idea. Teams play better when there's kind of that motivation and that story behind it, whether it's the college game day press they're getting, maybe the fan base gets into it. So that's an element that, that uh, you know, just is another angle there in terms of the the feathers in the FSU cap. That's mm-hmm. you know potentially something to be a bit concerned about. Yeah, I never thought I'd get emotional watching a FSU quarterback, you know, throw a football, but that first completion, it was it kind of brought me back to remember Drew Bledsoe came in against the Steelers yeah. back in it was during the 0-1 championship Super Bowl game, run. Yeah, 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 yeah just threw a strike yeah. to not to bring up David Patton, but jeez, oh, man, jeez, yeah, man, um, You're getting but, emotional you know, here, yeah, yeah, but but you, and you brought up Alex Smith too. I mean, it, it really was cool. I, I kind of felt I felt like I was Mackenzie Milton's mom, you know, watching up in the press box. It was just, okay. uh, you know, we were all rooting for him, and and it was it was really cool. So, and, and by the way, from a football standpoint. That other quarterback scares the crap out of me too. What's his name? Uh, uh, Jordan Travis. Yep. You'll remember. Was it eighteen when they beat us and they shouldn't have? Or was it yeah. nineteen when they beat us and they shouldn't? Have? Probably all of it. Yeah. Uh, but he uh, he lit us up for I think it was three carries for like hundred and twenty yards or something like that and iced the game for them. So you know it goes back to mobile quarterbacks and and that being kind of our bugaboo. But point being, you know they've always had talent on that team if they're actually starting to put it together under Norvell and you know that's that's something to be concerned about. All right. One last thing I want to talk about in Halfley's Corpus is not in the ACC, but I do just want to give you the floor, Matt. Uh, two questions. How is your neighbor, Randy Edsel, doing? Yeah. And two, do you think that our intramural football team junior year could legitimately beat UConn? Yeah, and for those listening, I think it's important to note that our junior year intramural football team, I think, came in dead last. I think we had a points four of like two and a points against of like 77. We um, went one so and five. A, we, which we is terrible performance. Win. Terrible, terrible performance. It was probably against UConn. You don't want me as your quarterback. I threw 18 picks that season. Yep. No, I would strongly agree with that. I think that you guys didn't leverage my height well enough. I'm like six foot six on a good day. And I don't think I was targeted in the end zone once. So I just want to throw that out there. You couldn't get separation. That's fair. I mean, that's fair. But just jump balls. Anyways, we're getting off topic here. Again, Randy Edsel, my my neighbor, uh, lived a couple of houses down from me growing up. I think that he'll be making a lot more appearances, you know, mowing the lawn, just doing other neighborly <laughs> stuff uh, these days because it is over for him. Good for you know what? Honestly, snake it till you make it type thing. Good for him. He's going to sit on his couch now and continue to cash his. I think it's one point two five for the rest of the year. I, it, it's unbelievable what has happened to that program. And I and I will say to UConn's defense, some of this is just kind of I think the the collateral damage of the you know the money and the shifting conferences that that happened in college football. I think it is tough for a group of five school to have you know sustained success. But to think that I think what well, we were, were we freshmen or sophomores when they made it to the uh, Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma and they never really had a chance there, but still being the highest ranked group of five team to be at that peak to now losing to Holy Cross is like an absolutely impossible slide, especially when you say, you know, it's the same head coach. And I know there was a gap in between but the same head coach for the for the for the high and the low. It's it's absolutely unreal. I don't see any world in which they come back from this. I think that, uh, again, now, especially being independent, I don't see a world in which they, they ever, uh, you know, recover to even any amount of, of respectability. And frankly, I think that's where UConn football belongs. And again, I hate to say that as a former resident of the state and as a, as a neighbor of Randy Edsel, who just last thing, he was always really nice around the neighborhood. It seems like he's the most hated coach in the history of college football. Like everyone hates him. UConn fans hate him. Rival fans hate him. Fans of, you know, UCLA, Oregon, random schools hate him. I don't know what he, I guess he's kind of a dick to the press, but well, otherwise just seems like a nice, he was a nice neighbor. Yeah. And I just like, so it is, it was the 2010, 2010 season where Oklahoma beat UConn in the Fiesta Bowl. But yeah, yep. they went eight and four that year. What a, uh, what a fall they've had. I think the big knock on Edsel is that he, when he left to take the Maryland job, I don't think he told anyone. I think he handled that really, really poorly. Yeah, and, think- and he was a jerk to like a couple reporters too at the time there. And once once right. you lose the press, Matt, as as you, know, you and I know, as as members mm-hmm. of the press these days, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty much over for you. 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't know that the Diaco stench ever really wore off of the UConn program. So I think that's probably a factor as well. It's just they're fun to because they're so inept and they're so like it's so embarrassing to lose to Holy Cross. We played them, what, two or three years ago. Wasn't even a great BC team and we were up 48 nothing at halftime or something like that. I think that was the Holy Cross game. And, and not to get completely completely sidetracked because I think we could just talk about like the butterfly effect of, of this for an hour. But when we hired uh, Adazio, who I think, you know, is – his tenure, uh, there, there's the opinions on it. I think it was what it was, and and I think we're happy to be beyond that. But the entire, I would say the entire BC fan base, myself certainly included, wanted Bob Diaco with every fiber of my being <laughs> to be our head coach. And I think when we announced Dazio, everyone was so disappointed, and maybe some of that disappointment was warranted. But man, thank God we did not end up with Bob Diaco. Who knows where we are now? I don't think we have Halfley. I don't think we go 15-0 this year. I'll just say that much. It's a really good point. They should do a 30 for 30 on like the what if. Bob Diaco deserves his own 30 for 30. That guy is just, yeah. I'll tell you what. We would is, have uh, more rivals. We'd have more rivalry trophies if we had Bob Diaco. That's about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All right. This went off track, but I think we covered <laughs> a lot of ground here. Let's go ahead and we're, you know, Matt and I said, let's just make this a 30 minute episode. Unless sure like, who cares? Yep. <laughs> who cares about Colgate? Who cares about UMass? Let's just knock this out. But uh, a lot happened uh, in, in the world of college football. So a lot to cover. With that said, let's exit the courtroom and let's talk Minutemen. Yeah. So I'm just going to start this with a quick disclosure, Matt. Uh, my parents, Tom and Wendy, are both. UMass grads, class of 1981, I want to say. So they, to be very clear, just to, to everybody, are now you know big BC fans, and, and UMass sports don't even remotely register on their minds. But I just think I need to, you know, in the in the in the in the, in the court of fairness, and just to be honest, I just need to get that out front in case I say anything positively about Amherst as a town or or you know McGurk Stadium or any of that. I just need to get that out front. That mm-hmm. said, Matt, I, I don't know what we can really add here. I do want to get a chance to talk about the weather. But this is going to be another tune-up. We're, I think, going to win by 100 as we'll get into our official prediction shortly. Anything you want to make sure we cover here? Uh, no, I think that's a good place to start. I will say that having hosting your folks back in junior year when a UMass wants to come to BC, I think I think they came for a UMass game, right? Yeah. Yep. That was that was just a real treat having them. So shout out to all those guys. It was kind of had a mini reunion uh, at, at Lake Street back in the day. Sure anyway. Yeah, so I think the the first place we should start is tailgate ability, and I know that's where you want to talk about the weather. I'll just say I'll say this, I just and I don't want to make a big deal of this, but I I don't understand why we're why we're playing this game there, right? Like why are we doing this? Who who decided this was a good idea? It just doesn't seem like a big time football move to me. Like you don't see Clemson go to the Citadel. You don't. You, if you're a big time football program, you don't make concessions like this. And I know it might be for the. You know, the, the greater good of Massachusetts football. I don't really care. If we're, you know, we're an ACC program, they are barely an FBS program. Why are we meeting them at their level, right? Gillette's one thing. Gillette's right, right outside the city. It's a half hour from campus. That's pretty much a home game for us. It's cool to go to Gillette. It's fun to take the party bus out there. I just don't know that I understand who made this decision, why we made this decision. It kind of ha- it kind of feels like when Notre Dame put their logo all over the Fenway end zones uh, a few years back. I'm going to take an alternate opinion here. Uh, and Halfley had a good quote on this earlier today. He was asked about this in his, in his Tuesday press conference, but basically just like, I don't, I don't care where we play. Uh, UMass reached out to BC and said, Hey, we'd love to play you. We'd love to host you. I think now they're, they're, they're shifting away from Foxborough. And they basically said, you know, we'd love to, um, you know, have you guys out to Amherst. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. We're just lucky to play football. I don't care where it is. I, I, I don't care if we play you here. I don't care if we play you in, you know, Dallas, Texas. I don't care if we play you in Foxborough. I don't care if we play you in Amherst. It's football. We're going to beat them regardless. Here's what I will say. I, I think that there is an element of it that, first of all, Gillette was just, I was just tired of going to Gillette. I, I, I completely disagree with your opinion of, of having fun there. It was good for, you know, our, our two years when we went there right after college. But beyond that, it was just like, what are we doing here? There were 10,000 okay. people in a 60,000 person well, stadium. Hold on. We had an absolute blast. Everyone that was in that, like everyone that was a current student all the way up through, I don't know, sub 26, took a party bus out to Gillette. We smoked them. We had a great time. It was awesome. Now all those kids don't get that experience because no one's going to UMass. So, no, and, and I, I saw what Halfley said. Halfley was like, "Oh, we're getting exposure to the central Massachusetts," yes. and like, okay, great. But like, does anyone about, actually live out there besides the Lindstroms? 
Think about again. You got to think about the first of all the fan base at large, right? I mean, there are yeah. BC alums in Western Mass. There are BC mm-hmm. alums in Westchester County, New York, and Hudson County, New York, which is materially closer to Amherst. There are you know BC alums in Central Connecticut, which is an hour closer to Amherst than it is to to Chestnut Hill. There there are you know fans that are are materially closer to to Amherst than there are to, to Chestnut Hill. The second piece too, I think that like. This is kind of a like they're playing in basically a high school stadium. That's unique mm-hmm. for that's BC. That's more my point. <laughs> but that's unique for BC, and that's like unique, frankly, for a fan you, experience. You're like, really I think, spin zone in this. I'm not. I think that if I if I had like if I had a a, a five year old son, I think mm-hmm. he would have more fun. You know, or maybe maybe you got a little older, so like you're actually appreciating the the play. Like you're going to be right on top of these guys. It's going to be like you're just in an absolute shoebox. It's going to be kind of a cool football watching experience. Something we don't get that often. Amherst is is like a pretty cool college town. I've heard. So you get that versus just hanging out in a parking lot in in uh, in, in Foxborough, Mass. I'm like I'm fully on board with this, man. I think it's kind of cool. I think that there is a, a good for Massachusetts type football thing. We got these big guys, and we're you know bigger and stronger. And by the way, the fan you know the the stadium will probably be 50 percent, if not more, BC fans. I'm I'm fully on board. I think this is going to be great. Okay, fair enough. I, I don't really care that much about it. I, I, I don't either. People, but if people do have an issue about, with it, yeah. I'm not. I'm, I mean, we're not going either way. But for anyone that was, you know, would have liked to have gone if it was, you know, at obviously at alumni or at Gillette, and now they're not going to go because it's at that high school stadium. I totally get that too. So, um, all right, tailgate ability. I'm putting this at twelve point two. Um, we are undefeated, which is great. But otherwise, uh, and it's it's cool that it's the battle of the Bay State. Although I think we've officially won that battle, if not the war. Yes. Uh, but outside, outside of that, there's not a lot. There's not a lot cooking for this game. So I got twelve point two. Well, Matt, what I'll R- tell you, RVs. Yes, RVs. Uh, what I, what I'll tell you is is cooking, Matt, is the weather, and, mm-hmm. and I know you're waiting for this. So it's seventy six and sunny. I think that for the most part in these September games, we get nice days. But every now and then, like this, the September can just kind of turn on a dime, and we can get you know fifty five and rainy or uh, something like that. So to have a three thirty kickoff. In mid-September, 76 and sunny. It's a it's a safe win in again what I would say is kind of a, a unique stadium. Like I think that's an absolute. I think that's an absolute lock for me. I'm giving it a decent score. I'm giving it 22 and a half, um, which again for UMass I think is higher. And frankly, that's higher I think than, than that would be had we been in in Chestnut Hill because there's that kind of unique angle to it. What I will say is that that's also getting a bump because it is impossible to watch this game on TV, especially if you're outside of New England. So. In New England, it's on Nesson Plus. Uh, outside of New England, it is on, I think, Flow Sports is the uh, network that UMass has partnered with. Do you I'm know how rank that works? That. I don't, but I'm just assuming that it's lower than Aggie Vision. Okay, got it. I, was, I had that, that similar joke lined up, Matt. Um, I, I don't know how that works. I don't know if we have to pay like $5 and then cancel it. I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to watch the game on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, I'm a little concerned. I'm, sure, a little concerned. I'm sure J-Bomb will, will, find, will help us out or someone will find it, an illegal stream or something. That's a little ridiculous too, by the way, if we're talking about – like we're again, we're big-time football and we're on Flow TV, Flow Sports. Well, that's a, that's a, I think that's a – again, we could get lost in this for a while, but I think that's a bigger like media issue that the home team is the one who dictates television – like I think that's in general. Like I think if we play at a at a Pac-12 school or a Big Ten school, our game's going to be on like the Fox network. For, um, for New England folks, is it on Nesson or Nesson Plus? Nesson Plus. Nesson Plus. Well, that's a joke too, isn't? This, isn't this a great opportunity to get you know battle the Bay State? I know it's a joke. It but is. Like, yeah, get, it is. To, to get a, a two schools that a lot of people went to. Like this, this could get the New England region into college football. Seems like yeah, a missed opportunity there, but I don't disagree. With the Sox are in the middle of the playoff race. I assume they have a day game. On, I, on they're Saturday. unwatchable right now. I don't know if you saw the game last night, but that's an unwatchable. It was bad, but they're, right look, now. they're gonna, they're, 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 they're gonna be fine. They're gonna be fine. And don't get me started on the U.S. men's national team. Oh, um, all right, we do have to. So, all right. So you said twenty-two point something RVs. Yeah, I think that's an outrageous score. Three thirty um, kickoffs, Matt. That's a huge bump. Uh, that's true. That's true. That's uh, that is the right time to play a football game on a Saturday. So good point. And again, there. the Red Sox are currently in the playoffs as we were recording today. They're just in the wild. They're card in the spot. wild card two spot, I think. Yes, half a game that's behind like, the Yankees. That's like being in the first four for the NCAA. It doesn't really count. Okay. So let's talk a little bit of football. I did a little bit of research because I figured you wouldn't. Correct. Um, UMass, as we all know, joined FBS in 2012. They operate as an independent. Um, they were previously affiliated with the Mac for a couple of years, and then they thought they were too good for the Mac. Turns out the Mac was too good for them, and now they're kind of in trouble. Um, they've been one of the worst teams in, in football over the last eight or so years. They average about one one or two wins per year. 
Last year, UMass had both the worst offense and one of the worst defenses in the country. They lost all four games they played by a combined score of 161 to 12. So uh, that's you know pretty one sided there. They played Pitt, our friends Pitt, last se- uh, last week. They lost to Pitt by a score of 51 to seven in the Mark Whipple revenge game. Uh, Pickett and, and the Pitt Panthers threw for 375 yards. They rushed for another 223. The game was never really in doubt. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, I guess one quick note. Coach Walt, Walt Bell was hired back in 2018. He was one of the youngest coaches in college football, was considered a rising star. He previously served at the office, uh, as the offensive coordinator at Florida State under Willie Taggart. Prior to that, he was the, I think he was the offensive coordinator at Maryland as well. Um, I guess he's on the hot seat now. Who really knows? It's UMass. It's kind of hard to tell what their expected win threshold is. Randy Edsel, Randy Edsel could fit in there nicely. I'll just say that a little coach swap. There you go. Well, you know what a lot of people are saying is maybe Adazio would fit in great at UConn, he would. which I'd he, be all He in actually on. would. And and by the, and again, we, we've gotten sidetracked a few times this episode. The Adazio train, we, we, let's make a note to talk about that in the courtroom next week because. Okay. Things yeah. are not going well in, in Colorado for, for our old friend there. Uh, I kind of I blocked that out of my mind. They had a tough <laughs> loss, huh? Wasn't even close. Not great. Yeah, not great. Um, do you have anything? I got a couple more notes here, but if you want to have any insights, feel free. I'll just jump in. Uh, can I just give my prediction and then you can sure, give your sure, more sure. insights? Uh, I, yeah. I, I'm checked out. Uh, again, the line currently is Eagles minus 37.5 over under 59.5. Math guy implied score of 48.5 to 11. Uh, which is an absolute joke, again, especially when you consider what uh, they did to Pitt or I guess what Pitt did to them last week. So I am I am going to go significantly better than what that implied score indicates. I'm going to say we run it back exactly as we did, 51-0. Seven, what is that, six touchdowns? No, that's seven touchdowns, field goal, no. missed extra point. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's, yep, that's that how we did it, right. right? That's how we did it this past that's, week, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, so we're going to run it back 51 nothing, and we're on to Temple. Yep, who, who as we mentioned, just got absolutely smoked by by Rutgers, uh, right. which was unexpected. I, I am no longer scared of Temple. But, hey, let's take it one week at a time, guys. Um, one more note. They brought in a ton of transfers. I guess that's what you do when you, when you lose – by a margin of what did I say, 161 to 12. Yep. Um, so credit Walt Bell for for saying, hey, I, I think I need some new players. He brought in 12 transfers, um, including starting quarterback Tyler Little, who was a big time recruit out of, out of California back in the I think it was the class of 2016. Uh, he again, he, he big time recruit had offers from Oregon, Miami, Cal, and actually get this, Matt, BC offered him. But he decided to not take BC's offer. I think he wanted to, to throw a forward pass. And so when Brian White offered him, he, he said, no, thanks. Um, hasn't seen much of the field. He ended up at Colorado, by the way, before entering the transfer portal this past summer. And then I have other notes here, but no, I think I'm, I've lost, I've lost the, the <laughs> locker room and the audience at this point. Um, but presumably they have a running back, defense, et cetera, wide receivers. Um, yeah, I think so. So. Yep. Uh, Matt, Matt did say the, the implied score. Um, so I got, I'll just, I'll just get right to it. Sometimes things happen, right? Sometimes things do happen when you play FCS opponents or I know they're technically FBS, but they're practically FCS. We did just see Georgia Tech lose to a Northern Illinois team that was winless last year. I already mentioned Washington losing to FCS Montana. Plus we, uh, we almost lost to Texas State. And then in Q's last year, it was practically an FCS team. So sometimes we do play down to our opponents. So, and it's, it's, you know, never easy to play three straight cupcakes and, and stay focused, which is what these guys got to do. With all that said, I think we just got too much talent. And we say this every week, but, you know, Zay could just single handedly take over this game if we wanted to. So um, I do think they'll stay fairly vanilla, but I think the talent is just completely on, on one side of the field. I got 68 to three. Wow, and uh, we're on we're on to the sixty eight, sixty eight, Matt. Oh my god, that that is yeah. stunning. Well, right. here's what I think. I like the running game getting going because yeah. what they should do all week is really practice the run game. And if we can't, if we don't have a run game next weekend, then it's it's past being concerned. It's yeah. we don't have a run game, and we're just going to throw it. You know, eighty percent of the time is what it is. So that's one thing to watch for. Obviously, want to get out of there injury free as well. Hopefully, the, the defense can keep them off the field. And, uh, and yeah, that, that'll be all she wrote for the Minutemen. And we're on to a home game, a special treat next weekend for 
the whole crew coming down to Philadelphia will be boots on the ground at Lincoln Financial for BC Temple. So uh, we'll have a special treat on the show next weekend for that. Maybe some Saturday hijinks, who knows. But let's take it one game at a time here. Beat the Minutemen. And uh, let's get out. Let's get out, get out of Amherst with a convincing win and win the battle of the Bay State, as they say. They say that, Matt. And again, they also say that the road to 15-0 can't happen without – they say – let me think about this. They say you can't. There it is. They One say you can't land, go. Yep. Two say, base state. Battle of the base state. That's very topical. Uh, yep. They say you can't go 15 and 0, Matt, without going 2 and 0. The road to 15 and 0 rolls on. Get in, folks. just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.